like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk welcome to the latest episode of the just not sports podcast this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like or do or think about or talk about just not sports on today's show we have tracked down the infamous reality steve steve carbone aka the michael jordan of spoiling the bachelor about his not-so-secret past in Sports Talk Radio. And with me to do it right now, let's go to a car phone in Brooklyn. It's Gareth Hughes. Gareth, have a take. Don't suck. Jim, I was up all night last night writing this take. I got index cards in front of me. I really don't (laughs) want to screw this one up. No, no. You forgot. Thanks for the vine and thanks for the time. Is that Jeff and Richmond you're talking there? <laughs> I think so. Okay, guys, if you're listening to this show, first of all, with me, my co-host, seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes, in Brooklyn. Not with us, Adam Millard, Joe Reed, our other host. It's a holiday week. We're letting those two off the hook. But Gareth and I wanted to do a very, very special show, and we are going to geek <laughs> out. So, for the unacquainted... Uh, you're going to hear a lot about, as as Garrett just put it, person in places. <laughs> People, <laughs> person in places. Dude on a dude on a car phone. Car phone's great. Dude, dude with uh, dude with uh, syllables in his names. We we are talking about a very strange phenomenon. Uh, that is the Jim Rome Radio Show. Uh, Gareth, real quick, give us the nickname of the Jim Rome Radio Show. The jungle, baby. You're in the jungle. You're a clone. You're in the jungle. If it wasn't for SoundCloud's increasingly difficult audio uh, standards, I would definitely be playing some Guns N' Roses right now. Like, oh, and what was the other song that played all the time? Wasn't it Lust for Life? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, they played that uh, uh, going out every day. It was Iggy Pop's Lust for Life. Okay, so we're going to use the top of the show to just set up the Steve, uh, the Steve interview. Uh, and and explain a little bit more about what we're talking about here. So, Gareth, I, I'm, I'm a huge Bachelor fan. I, I was a entertainment reporter in the mid-2000s when the show first started. I've worked with several, and professionally I've worked with several of the Bachelor uh, mafia over the mm-hmm. years, if you will. And uh, some, some cooler than others, let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> um. It, so I'm a big reality TV fan, and I ran into Steve, uh, reality Steve, as most Bachelor fans do, when I, I heard about his growing uh, brand as the guy who spoils The Bachelor with, with, with insider info every year. And when I went to his Twitter, I saw Steve Carbone, and the first thing I thought was, hot damn, that's Steve Carbone. That's Stevie from LMU from the jungle. Hell yeah. I did not know that he had a life outside of the Jim Rome call screener. <laughs> Well, that's exactly right. So, like, okay, we're going to set up everything for everybody. Let's just do it like this. Jim Rome, multimedia personality. He's worked for ESPN, Fox, Premier, Premier Radio Networks. Uh, (laughs) Dude, now he's on CBS. 
Oh, he's on CBS. Very good. Colle- colleague Jim Rome for Gareth. Um, his show is his his radio show has been on for God. It must be twenty five years, right now. Man, it started out as a Southern California phenomenon. No, uh, he's a gaucho, as I recall. Yeah. Uh, well, what school is that? Wait, no. Let me guess. Let me guess. The gauchos are. It's not Cal Fullerton. No. It's uh. Wait. It's uh something with a beach in it, right? UC Santa Barbara, baby. Oh, UC Santa Barbara. Oh, actually, in in Sports Illustrated, one year they ranked all the school all the schools by sports love. And for UC Santa Barbara, they just put Jim Jim Rome's school. <laughs> <laughs> and on the jungle that day, he was so pumped up. Uh, all right, so our fans, I, I'm not. I'm gonna say there's probably not a ton of crossover between just not sports fans and jungle listeners, and certainly not with jungle callers. There's like the two of us, and there's Steve Carbone, aka Reality Steve. Uh, but this show wouldn't but, but exist the, without the jungle. Oh yeah, totally. Like I love the Jim Rome radio show. So I, I, I'd be totally candid. I was never a Rome TV show guy. Like, I, yeah, I watched it occasionally. I just, I never got into it. I always found his radio show to be, like, totally addictive. Did did you, did you feel that way? So I think that, um, look, I love as you get older. And everybody's waxing nostalgic for this sort of era of the birth of 24-hour sports talk cycles and the sports radio. And Mike and Mike, living in New York now, Mike and Mike take on a lot of that nostalgia for guys our age. That said, for people like us who grew up in the Midwest, Mike and Mike was a regional show. Jim Rome was a national daily three-hour show through like our late teens, early 20s, and being able to listen to that sort of national conversation uh, was fantastic. And because it was national, it attracted not just like a wide swath of callers from all over the country, but if you were in Illinois and I was living in New York or I was in Ohio and you were in Illinois, we could talk about the same sports radio show in the same way that people in New York and New Jersey could talk about Mike and Mike. And so I think the national reach of that show at that time was fantastic. I also would argue this. Well, first of all, we we were listening in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. We were both younger in our careers, coming out of school. I mean, we left in in 01. I I, I was a reporter. I had a lot of nights. I had a lot of like um, days in the car, going from assignment to assignment. I listened to sports talk a lot, Dude. like during the day, in a way that I do not do now. Well, I do and- not replicate. I was I was working in kitchens. I was a chef at the time, or line cook. I was a line cook, and but I remember there's a dude I worked with, Vince, who had just graduated from college with a master's in viola and was trying out for the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, and we were the two dudes in the kitchen who loved the Rome Show. We were both clones, and so if we had the lunch shift, we would listen to it the whole time, and so it's this recently graduated like English major and this dude trying out for a symphony on the viola and every day at three o'clock we would break down the huge call of the day or the huge email from the Jim Rome show. (laughs) So you said the term clones. Okay. There's a couple there's If you're listening, there's as we get into this with reality, Steve, there's some key terminology. You got it. You got to, you got to hone in on. So one, we talk about the jungle. That's the show. Two, we talk about clones. Now, Gareth just said this was truly a national show. I would argue 
it was hyper local in its nationality, meaning it was hmm. essentially an audio internet chat room. These were the same people listening every day, coast to coast. And then within that, there became this sort of cast system of star callers who would call in, and unlike any other radio show I've really ever heard in sports talk, instead of just dudes being like, uh, you know, hey, Dan and Terry, uh, love your show. I just want to, like, uh, Jay Cutler's uh, contract. Uh, I just don't think Jay Cutler's worth that money. I'll hang up and listen to your call. Okay, thanks, guys. Uh, instead of that, it was dudes reading six-minute prepared, written Sports down. monologues. Dude. Rehearsed yeah. monologues, yeah. With... And they were called the clones. They were called the clones because they were allegedly just cloning Jim Rome's style. And, and, and the whole thing was about have a take, don't suck. And the dudes that were the stars of this era, you, you, you got to know their personality. You kind of choose, you, you would pick and choose which guys you would like. I mean, there was Sean the Cabellation, Iafrady, Jeff on a car phone in Phoenix, Jeff in Richmond. Jeff in Richmond Moore. stands out to me so much as like a fully honed character, like with a voice and <laughs> taglines and whose medium rather than like sketch comedy or like music was he was a sports radio caller. Yeah, or like Willie and KC who would just run out these two-minute-long rehearsed songs that he would do until he was banned for life from the show for dropping anti-Semitic smack on the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. Like, I, I, I and, 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 okay, so getting to, getting to this, uh, the... One of the star callers of this universe was Steve Carbone. He was Stevie at LMU. Stevie in LMU, that's Loyola Marymount University. And he was just, he was a winner of an annual competition between the different callers, the clones, that Jim called the the smack off. Mm-hmm. And this was appointment radio for me from like 2001 to 2004, man. I loved the smack off. I thought it was great. Gareth, I'm not going to lie. I may have been... I may have been about two months away, lifestyle-wise, from starting to call in. Because I was the huge email of the day twice. (laughs) So there was this whole terminology, this whole universe of callers. And Steve Carbone was one of the stars. He won the smack off in 98. He famously became part of the the elevated clones who... um, Not only did he work for Jim for a time, he screened calls before Brian Alvarez did, Whitey... um, but he actually uh, he actually got a job in sports talk radio uh, relatively early in his career, and then ultimately lost that job, lost the job working for Jim. We get into all of that in the uh, in the interview, which I'll get into more in a second. But he was a star on the show. When when I re- made the connection, I remember people making fun of him for writing about reality TV, right. and that was like 2005. And now here he is, a dude who has been in the New York Times. He's been sued by ABC. <laughs> he is. I was. I. We just talked about him a few weeks ago. As I was, like, as I said, I turned the Bachelor in Paradise scandal into my missing Malaysian plane in terms of internet minutes logged. The dude was a legend in the jungle, and I. I was super happy that he has gone on to bigger and better things. I mean, do you remember him as a caller on that show? I do. Uh, I remember the names. Uh, uh, I remember that name. Here's Jeff and Richmond's the one that stands out to me 
the most uh uh and the cavlinasian which it took me that was the other thing about the show like it's worth noting he did he made no effort to explain anything he was talking about you it really <laughs> yeah. it only rewarded repeat listens like you had to listen constantly give to it two get weeks to the universe exactly if you didn't give like it, it two weeks two and then weeks, after that give it two more weeks <laughs> yeah yeah but and this is what i feel like is honestly significant in our media landscape right now jim rome is the first person i ever used heard use the terms take or hot take like i honestly think in my mind he yeah. coined those and i think if we trace back the etymology like he I think he deserves credit for creating that term um, because it got into sports and then from sports, it got into all of media. Uh, and so I think that there is some like historical significance beyond just like our memories and some funny, weird culty things that he gave us that term for better, or for worse. Yeah. And you know what? And what's funny to me is that there is such an intersection between sports and the bachelor. And we've talked about it on the show. We've had Jamel Hill on the show talking about Bachelor in Paradise. We've had Sarah Spain on the show from ESPN talking about The Bachelor. Uh, we, you know, Adam's brought it up a number of times. We brought it up a number of times. And, and yet, I, in Googling this, I could not find anything but passing references to Reality Steve being like a superstar caller on the, history, uh, on the jungle. And it's not like he... He doesn't call every day anymore, but he does call every year for the Smack Off. Like two years ago, he was the first Smack Off participant to do it live on Periscope, <laughs> <laughs> which I went back and listened to. It was great. Uh, and actually, Gareth, I in prepping for the interview, I found a I found a what I can only describe what looks like an old Earthlink <laughs> site that uh, that has all the old calls from the Smack Off. And oh man, God. I want to apologize to my office right now. That was like a Thursday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just reboot all that stuff in my brain. But I could never find, I could seriously never find anybody who made this connection. The New York Times kind of, and the LA Times have profiled Steve. They, they've referenced it in passing. Mm-hmm. But I think that the interview we're about to do is, and I had a chance to talk to him for about an hour. Like we, we got into everything. Like him, like this is the definitive take on where, reality steve has been this personality in a certain corner of the sports world in very public in a very public way mm-hmm. for 15 plus years it, 20 years really i mean yeah 20 years and yet uh so many of the sports media who follow him religiously about the bachelor either haven't made the connection or just aren't part of the ecosystem it, i i find it fascinating yeah, I, I'm fascinated by the popularity of that show. Honestly, as I said to you, I'm looking forward to hearing this interview and learning more about him. So look, look, the interview is pretty expansive. We, we, if you're if you're a Bachelor fan, you came on for Bachelor news with Reality Steve. Uh, at the very end, we talk about the show, ask him a little bit about um, you know the, the intersection between sports and the Bachelor. Uh, recount a story about myself being contacted by producers of the show looking for athletes to be The Bachelor years ago. Uh, if you're a sports fan, I, I would just listen to him talk about the the process of going from sports talk radio fan to sports talk radio caller to sports talk budding star to 
failed <laughs> sports talks sports talk star to butt of you know numerous jokes in this whole ecosystem within sports we talk about working for Jim Rome what that was like we talk about uh, getting fired by Jim Rome uh, which he was we talk about his his jobs and what happened and then ultimately um, just his opinions like which mm-hmm. which clones did he think were the best which clones did he think were overrated uh, hey uh, Terrence and Sierra Madre, I might turn this off now. <laughs> um, but it was a lot of fun. And, and if you're a clone of, or a former clone like Gareth and I, I think you're going to have a good time with this because it really does. I, Gareth, I was really surprised how it took me back to what it was to be 23 years old and just driving around you know, waiting to go to work at 2 and listening to the Rome show and just you know spending that extra little time in the car you know parked outside a, a, a like a jewel store or something or schnooks and just being like hey i'm gonna just you know i afraid he's coming on i'm gonna, I'm gonna stick around and listen to his call <laughs> well brad first of all it was the only show i've ever heard that was able to promote the callers that were coming up you know like it would keep you yeah. around for an extra segment based on the callers alone so that was some early crowdsourcing by a california guy right there that's number one Number two, I might have taken a day off from work or asked for it off because the smack off was <laughs> happening. Gareth, smack off 2002, I was driving from Peoria to Ohio, and I pulled over in Indiana because I lost the last Rome show that was on to listen to the winner, and I sat in a parking lot for 45 minutes <laughs> in a running car. And I heard it was Jeff in Richmond, and I just turned it off with disgust and kept driving in silence. I was so mad. <laughs> On that note. Jeff in, Jeff in Richmond was worse. Oh, and if you're, a, if you're a hardcore clone, we really go deep. I get into what was the sounds behind Jim and Fall River <laughs> during the infamous smack-off call. Gareth, do you remember that call? I do not. Uh, I do not. It's like this This total mass hole is doing his, like, his chowder chow to this chow to that and then all of a sudden you just hear this like animal sounds behind him <laughs> and and rome's like jim what is going on behind you like jim never cut off a collar unless he just had to get him run and um and all the conspiracy theories start flying they're like was he raping a donkey was that chewbacca like uh oh man the clones they were great man they were great hell yeah all right, well, All right. stick around. Re- Reality Steve coming up. You're going to really enjoy it. We're breaking format this week. It's a special episode. It's a holiday week. Uh, no distractions at the end of it. But, uh, you know, we had Troy Brown came on uh, from the Patriots earlier this week. Check out that episode if you missed it. We're putting up kind of two at once. And we will be back, hopefully, with our full crew next week. Good night now. All right, stay tuned, clones. We'll be back. Let me start by like, my history with you goes back this far. Like back in 01 to 05, I would say I was a pretty regular jungle listener. Okay. Um, I was a reporter at the time. I had, um, you know, I had a weird schedule. I was in the car a lot, driving around to various assignments and working nights, so I had my afternoons off. 
And so when I, you know, I've, I'm also a Bachelor fan, um, actually covered entertainment uh, in the Midwest for a little bit, so kind of followed reality, reality TV from afar. So I, I knew of Reality Steve for years before I made the connection. I, when I finally <laughs> went to your Twitter, I was like, oh, holy shit, that's Steve Carbone. Yeah. Like, that's Stevie from LMU. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I'm wondering, like, now that you have such a uh, such of an enormous following for your work with reality TV, how many of those fans know that you are also this you know quasi iconic figure in this whole other region of online media? It's funny that you say that because what you just said to me, I've probably been told that I don't know maybe ten or fifteen times where someone said, "Used to be a Rome listener or am a Rome listener," and it wasn't until you know, whatever, that I finally made the correlation that the former Rome employee and the former caller to the show is reality Steve. I would say a majority of my audience, if I had to guess, 85 to 90% of my audience, maybe even 95%, have no idea about my smack-off calls and that I was a <laughs> smack-off champion in 1998. Like, I don't think they have a clue because I've never talked. It's not, it's not relevant to what I do now, so I never talk about it. I mean, I, I reference the fact here and there that I worked for Jim Rome, but I don't think anybody knows how obsessed I was with it and that I, you know, revolved my class schedule around it in college and stuff like that. I mean, no, I don't, they don't know. And they probably don't care. They're probably like, what a weirdo, you know, but well, and you were good. I mean, you were you were good. I mean, for people who don't know, who might be listening to this um, and are, aren't aware. I mean, Jim Rome has had his he's had his TV ventures, but he's had the the national uh, talk show, you know, on on radio for for twenty plus years, yeah. and it, it you know it was huge in in Southern California. It went national, and it's really unique in that every call in show has regular callers, but. I feel like the jungle sort of created the hardcore. I'm scripting out six minutes of super hot takes, and 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 it was almost a cast system of star callers, and you were among among the top of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that it was it was back in the day. It, I mean, I don't get to listen to it nearly as much anymore because I don't. It's not on here in Dallas. So anytime I listen it's basically based off Twitter. Like I follow Jim on Twitter and if he has a guest on that I want to, that I want to listen to. And it just so happens I see it in my Twitter feed. I'll just click on the link and just listen to it immediately right then and there. Um, but right. back in the day, um, from what I have listened to it now, yeah, it's way different because, you know, before he went syndicated or had very few markets. Yeah. It was almost the same callers. And I would try and only call once a week. And you know that now that would be just impossible for me to do. I would just, I wouldn't have enough, I wouldn't have enough interest in calling a radio show once a week now. But, yeah, when I wanted to get my start in radio and wanted to get noticed, absolutely. That's why I called Jim once a week and ended up working out for me. Like, he was the only radio show I ever called. And <clears throat> I would do it weekly or biweekly. And it was just one or bimonthly. And it was just one of these things where, at the end of the day, I was hoping to someday work for him. And it ended up working out for me and that's really the only reason why i called but yeah you had your stable of like six to eight callers with you know the mayor and uh Gitola and me and ifrady and uh raider mike uh, you know before it got crazy those were the stable of guys that people terrence and sierra madre obviously and those are the people that were easily recognizable on the show yeah, first of all, if it's not on in Dallas, Jim would be the first to say, you got to bang that monkey, Steve. Yeah, exactly. you got to get those affiliates. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so w- which handle did you prefer? I want to talk about working for Rome in a second, but like you've been known as Stevie from LMU on the show, Steve Carbone after a while, a, a phone slap uh, because yeah. of uh, your, your role on the show. Like what was your what was your preferred caller handle? Oh gosh, um, <clears throat> I think after <clears throat> I started working for the show, so I worked for the show from '97 through '99. He would just call me Stevie Carbone, and I think that's the one I probably prefer. I don't. Very few people probably remember remember me as Stevie from LMU because that was, I mean, well, I guess technically it was three years of calls because I was there my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Um, I think just Stevie Carbone. A uh, phone slap was just something that Travis came up with um, <laughs> uh, at some point because I, I don't even remember where it came from or what it stemmed from, but obviously I was the phone screener for the show and. Back in the day, like if I would say something stupid or do something stupid, he would just call me a slap, and then it just turned into phone slap. But yeah, um, gosh, yeah, that was it. Like I, I guess Stevie Carbone was the one that I was just like, that's fine, since that's my name, <laughs> and what that's TV, but you know, Steve. Yeah, I mean, what was it like working for the show and screening calls? So would you get? Like, I mean, would you just get a flood of calls that you'd be like, okay, go, let me hear it, and then evaluate if it's good or not? I mean, what was that process like? Gosh, it was funny. This was like 20 years ago. So it's like I'm, know. Trying, to, I'm trying to remember <laughs> what it was like. I mean, there was always a phone ringing, and you, I would just pick it up. And, you know, if it was somebody like Raider Mike or Terrence or whatever, right? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't need to ask them what they were talking about. I was just like, all right, hang on, and put them on hold. If it was somebody I didn't notice it, or I didn't recognize, I would just pick up the phone and be like, you know, Jim Rome Show, hey, this is Mark in Idaho or whatever. It's like, okay, hey, what do you got? So what do you got for us today? And then within five to 15 seconds of them telling me, and just I could just tell how they sounded on the phone, if they were going to be any good, I would either say, all right, hang on. And, or I would say like, no, man, not good, not, not good enough today. And I would just hang up. I, think, I didn't want to engage. Sometimes... Travis used to make fun of me because sometimes I would have my own talk show going on in, in the control room um, with the callers because they would say something that I would either disagree with and I was trying to play host and I'd be like, and I'd kind of go back and forth with the callers. And after a while, and that was probably when I first started, Travis is like, don't do that. Like, don't even, don't yeah. even bother. Don't even bother with these guys. It's just either put them on or not. I don't want to sit here. I've already got to listen to one show. I don't need to listen to a second show behind the glass here. So um, I just kind of, I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I was, I was new. I was a rookie. Um, so <clears throat> it was, um, you got to remember, I graduated college in 1997 on a Saturday. I started with Jim that Monday. Like I was working my dream job two days after I graduated college to a guy whose show I listened to literally every day for four years. And if I didn't, if I didn't hear it, I taped it. Um, I, oh, wow. yeah. and tape tape, uh, like cassette tape, Yeah, cassette tape. Uh, I would, then I would listen to it sometime later on that day. Even if I had to tape Wednesday show, if I never got around to it Thursday or Friday, I would on the weekend make time to listen to it. Like I was obsessed because this is what I wanted to do with my life. And so working for your idol, um, was just, it was kind of surreal in the beginning and I wasn't very good in the beginning. Um, and because I, I was intimidated, and then I kind of eased in, and then <clears throat> after a while, I, you know, I can easily admit this 
20 years later, I just thought I was too cool for school. I just was like, this is, I'm 21 years old. I'm working at the most popular syndicated sports talk show that I used to be a caller to. And I just, I easily can say that my work slacked because of it, because I was just, I was on cruise control. Is it true that you wrote your college thesis on, on Rome or some sort of, I want to know what the angle was that was, that you took. Yes, exactly. That's how I got hired. Um, Second second semester of my senior year, uh, for my communications degree, we had to do a senior thesis. And it was just, I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And the jungle was a huge part of my life. His radio show was the biggest part of my life at that point. I knew so much about it. <clears throat> and so I decided to do my thesis on the organizational culture of a reality, I mean, reality, of a uh, sports talk show. And obviously I chose the jungle. So my goal going into it was, I'm going to go up there about four or five times during second semester of senior year, one time to interview Jim, one time to interview Travis, one time to interview Whitey at the time, who was the engineer. And yeah, Brian Albers, right? Yeah, Brian Albers. And one to interview the phone screener at the time, whose name was Carl Young. And I was just like, okay, well, at least I'm getting my face in front of Jim, and at least I'm going to get one sit-down interview with Jim. And I did, and I went up there four times during my senior year to um, interview each guy separately because I couldn't do it all in one day. And, uh, you know, just kind of befriended them, kept in touch with them, mostly Travis. Uh, And I just kind of – we're getting to the end. I'm finishing up my senior thesis. I'm graduating in like a month, and I'm like, I want to be in radio, and the only thing I've ever done – is I did play-by-play for the LMU men's basketball team my senior year. I did like 30 games. I knew I didn't want to be a play-by-play guy. I, I didn't grow up doing that. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't sit at the top of Dodger Stadium and call games like everybody you hear uh, that's a play-by-play person says, like that was their dream to call game. I was like, yeah. no. I just, <laughs> I just did it to stay involved in sports and radio and just to hone my talking on the air. And um, so I made up an excuse to go back there. I told them I needed to do one last interview. I think it was with – was with Travis and uh, I didn't really have to do it, but I knew on that trip I was going to ask them for a job. And um, I did. I said, you know, I'm, I'm graduating in a month. <clears throat> you know, you see me up here four or five times. I hope you like my work. Um, if there's anything I could do, I'd love to come work for you guys. I don't even know if you have any positions open, but I'd love to come work for you. And uh, Jim liked my work, liked the fact that I took the time to do that. Uh, took a chance on me, and they essentially let go of Carl right around the time they were hiring me. So I don't know if Carl was probably too thrilled that I got hired and he was let go, but, I mean, it was what it was. I I, (laughs) I took advantage of an opportunity, and uh, I wasn't going to say no, that Jim Rome said, yeah, we want to bring you aboard. Like, it was was the craziest feeling I remember – just it was it was unbelievable like i just i I thought i was living a dream and then um so i started working for him the day two days after graduate college and it was off and running and really intimidated for like probably the first month or two and then kind of eased in and then once i eased in and got comfortable then uh at that point i just my work suffered because i was just mailing it in Uh, i mean i I just wasn't putting forth the effort that i should have i was 21 i was a little punk ass and i just thought you know i was too cool and um 
you know, Jim saw it. Jim called me into his office one day and said, you know, what's been going on? And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even call it a mutual understanding. Jim let me go and said, like, this is not working anymore. And uh, I know you, he, and he said, you know, I know that you want to be on the air and I know that, you know, we're not a radio station. And he said, I think you should start making waves towards that. And, you know, and he gave me a couple months there. I was still on for another couple months while he looked for someone else to replace me. And, um, and so I did. It took me about four months after that to find a job in radio. And I did. And, and that was that. But yeah, the, the thesis ended up getting an A on the paper. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was great. I mean, it would, if I didn't do that, if I didn't take that class, I seriously don't think I ever would have worked for Jim Rome because I would have no reason to go up there. So that's that's fascinating about uh, Rome talking to you. I, I, you know, he gets this reputation as this sort of uh, provocateur in in the sports world, or at least he he really did in the you know in the nineties and two thousands. What was it like working for him, and what's that dynamic like with that group? It was so much fun. But it was also a job that I didn't take serious enough um, after a while. And, you know, Jim was probably, what, 10 years into his career at that point? Maybe a little less than yeah. 10. Um, but he was just getting started. And I, I, I specifically remember this, and I told him this um, in a letter I wrote to him after he had let me go. That uh, and then years later, when I had gotten in contact with him again, when I had kind of started my radio career, um, when I when I had interviewed with him for the first time, and he brought me in to say like, yeah, we want to bring you aboard. This is our expectations and stuff like that. He he said like things are things are happening for me right now. Things are this is right around the time the Fox Sports show was starting up and all that stuff. And yeah, he's like I would. He goes, I would buy stock in Rome right now if I were you. And I was like, I'm, I'm in. I'm sold. And I just – it was a line at the time that I didn't, uh, I guess, appreciate enough. And I just assumed like, oh, because I'm on the Rome brand, like I'm going to get a radio job immediately after this because I worked for Rome. And it just – like I said, my work suffered. But the work for him was – he was just light years ahead of me in terms of work ethic. He was very intense. And he just, I, yeah. there, there were times where I felt like I didn't have much of a relationship with Jim on a personal level. Um, he was just my boss. He was my boss, Jim Rome. He wasn't like, it's not like me, him and Travis were hanging out after the show every day, just <laughs> shooting the breeze right. and having beers or whatever. It was, it was, it was a lot of work. And that, it was at that time that Jim started working in TV. So right after the show ended, he was in his car and he was on his way over to the Fox lot. Um, and Travis and I would stay around an extra two hours to prep for the next day's show or whatever. So I didn't, it wasn't a lot of downtime. We're just chilling out, hanging out with Jim. Um, so that kind of, I don't know about bothered me, but I was like, Oh, I thought I was going to get to like hang out with him and meet him more, or get to know him more. Yeah. And he was, and it wasn't, it was more of a boss role, which is fine. I mean, that's the way he worked at that time. And, um, uh, but would I ever take it back? Not in a million years like that. Like to work for that guy, that was my first job out of college. Like I couldn't have asked for anything better. I want to talk more about your foray into sports, uh, sports talk, and then ultimately the transition to what you're doing now. But first, 
please indulge me while I geek out on uh, jungle culture from that era. Yeah. So I got some questions for you here. Let's start with your. Let's start with the smack off. Uh, it's his annual contest of callers. Everyone comes with their take. You've won it in '98. Rare yeah. air. Uh, yeah. You know. Hopefully, I'll, I'll play a clip of that for our listeners here. Look who's in. We didn't know whether or not he was coming. Is he a clone? Is he an employee of the radio industry? He's done well before in the smack off. Stevie Carbone is in. Steve, what's up? Jim, what's up, man? Talk to me. Hey, you know, a lot has been made this past year about me making my comment on whether I'm a clone or whether I'm not a clone. And then the clones get their panties in a bunch because I said that. You see, that's what makes these people clones. The fact that this is even a topic with these people makes them the simpletons that they are. I mean, a clone is someone who, who ends his call with, I'm going surfing, brah. You know, a clone starts off every call with, Buenos dias, on smack, or ends it with, keep it long and straight, Jim. I mean, a clone is someone who gravy trains a sports bar, so every time he goes in there, he can get some free chicken wing. I get benefits, and you don't. Basically, I got game, and you don't. For the last time, losers, I'm not a f- clone. Out! <laughs> Stevie! The um, the the thing I love about that call is it 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 really was a very effective um, kind of way to just talk a ton of shit to all of the clones, all of the other callers, and kind of like like a really strong mic drop at the end. Like how much you do, yeah. of that call do you really remember? And did you know you won when you had it, or weren't when you finished? No, um, it was so weird because I made that call. 1998, when I was working for Jim, and when I came into the office right, right. that day, when I came into the office that day, I had nothing. I wasn't even going to be a part of the smack off. And Travis is just we're listening to the first hour, and Travis is just telling me, he's like, "Dude, you got to call in." I'm like, "What am I going to say?" I, I mean, I had called in pre- previous. I think there was maybe three, four smack offs before that, and um, I was like, "I don't. I, I've got nothing." And then I. I think a couple calls in the first hour took shots at me because I was a caller, and now, and I, that just got the wheels turning in my head. Like, all right, now I'm going to turn it around on them, and I'm going to come, I'm going to come back at them as just like this, hey, f you guys, look at me now. Like, uh, yeah, right. I'm, I was just like you, but now I'm actually got a job. I mean, it was so just listening back to that call. Jim's played it here and there, and people have told me he played it, and when I have heard it in the past. So like oh my I was like oh my god like what an idiot I was in 1998 <laughs> like I sound like such a moron I sound like I'm so self absorbed about we it. were all idiots in 98 man that yeah. was what we did back then yeah and but you got to understand and this is embarrassing to admit but I'll admit it 20 years later every single one of my calls that I ever made to Jim Rome before I moved um, before I started working for him um, I recorded and I used to play them for my friends. Because my friends were all fans, and they were like, dude, you, were you on Rome today? I go, yeah, I got huge calls. Did you tape it? Yeah. And we'd go over to their house, and I'd put my tape in of my calls, and we'd listen to them. It was so bad. And it was, and this is, like I said, before I worked for Jim. And then afterwards, it just became, uh, yeah. So that day, I'm going to smack off. I was just like, I had no, I had nothing. And then I came up with that, and I didn't think I was going to win. And I remember I went back down the hall to my office, made the call came back in and when I sat down again, because it was like one of the last calls that even got in, Jim looked at me and gave me a thumbs up and I was like and I look at Travis, he's like, I think <laughs> I, I think I think you're gonna win. Um I'm like, 
no way. And the funny thing is, <laughs> I guess at the time, the call was, was, was for 1998, it was a good call, but that, that call I don't think holds up 20 years later. There are some calls that were back in the day still hold up to this day, and I think were really funny and really good. But yeah, when I listen to it now, oh God, I just, I can't even, I cringe when I listen to it. Plus, I think I've had way better calls in recent years than that one. But they just, the show is different in terms of, I mean, you've heard it. You know what the calls are about now. It's like production value. and Yeah, and songs and all this other stuff. Yeah. By the way, you beat Jim Harbaugh in the 1998 Smack Off. I had yes, no I idea that it happened. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh called in and had literally one of the worst calls ever. And I know in a <laughs> yes. I, I know in one of a future in one of a future Smack Off calls that I had, I even did a Jim Harbaugh impression of his call that year because he literally said like three sentences. Joined by our only professional athlete in this year's field. He was on the show. He's a good jungle guy. He's respected in the jungle. He asked into the smack off. That's all I need to hear. Needed to hear at that point. He's in Orlando, Baltimore Raven, Jim Harbaugh. Jim, it is great to have you in the smack off. Romy, it's good to be on the smack off. I just want to say thanks for taking my call and, uh, I'd like to wish everybody out there a very uh, happy holiday, and and uh, I don't really have a whole lot of smack to say today. It's a, uh, it's a holiday, and it's a day of peace and harmony, kind of like Fuzzy and Tiger playing in the Masters. But uh, I want to wish everybody and their families a happy holiday, except for some of your clones who don't really have families and are behind in their child support payments like your boy Sean in Syracuse. And it was awful. It was terrible. Um, and... I know I've referenced it. I know I've made fun of him, but I I think my calls now are way more creative. Basically, because I call once a year, so I call smack off and that's it. Um, right. But I, I think I've had way better calls than my winning one. It's just that they're, you know, it's everyone else has stepped up to the game too. Because these call these callers now that whether it's Brad or Left or I mean Mike and Indy and Vic, I mean they've they've got good material. I'll give it to them. I mean they're good callers, but. I think I'm just as good, and I can hold my own um, calling once a year. If I called more than that, I, I probably would it, would it would dilute my talent. And, um, you know, um, I've got something in store for this year. I, I really do. I, it's, oh, it's last, more, last, than, more than the first live Periscope? Yeah, the live Periscope was – yeah, that was interesting. Um, I was just like, I'm gonna, I can see the way this is going. Just doing a call, no matter how great your smack is, um, just doing a call just doesn't do it anymore. You have to do something different. And I did the Periscope one, but the content wasn't, the idea was good. The content wasn't great. Um, I think I got, I don't know, seventh or eighth that year, whatever it was. Um, last year, I thought my call was excellent, but I went on too long and got cut off. It's the only time I think I've yeah. ever not, not finished a call on a smack off. And it's bothered me ever since because I was rolling. It was one of my favorite calls of all time. And I just, I was literally coming up on, saying and finally jim and that's is right before that is when he cut when me he off. get he, he ran you please i don't need a laundry list of who shall be struck down this year guys unless of course that list includes every swipe left mike has got on grinder and a detailed report of how many horse tranquilizers shale set up before bones jones bill cosby then have at it boys i don't care you know i know it's a big day for these guys but it's just laughable how predictable they've come look at their you don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Put me in a bad spot, Steve. Put me in a bad spot. I mean, the call was unbelievable. 
The call had incredible moments. The call could have carried the day, maybe, but no call is good enough to let run beyond six minutes. You got to know that. This year, I have something. I, I have something planned. I haven't. It's in its early stages. We're you know around a month away from the smackoff, but um, I've got something for everybody this year. So I'll leave it at that. You going to call your shot right now? You going to say uh, top three finish? I. I, I got something for people that I don't think they're going to expect as, as long as, as long as this, this is still in place. I, I think it's going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's what I hey, got. Who, who do you think is the best of the, of the, of the jungle callers and who, who do you think is the worst or the most overrated? Uh, gosh, uh, I mean, we're talking history or current. I think I would say history because I I just yeah. don't I have two kids now I have a really demanding job four hour commute like I do not have the the time to uh, to just be keeping up with all the new callers, um, but so I mean I would say like historically or or even if you just want to you know skew more toward your era like who do you think yeah. are the best and the and the most overrated? Okay, let me think about this because I let's see I. I love the guy, and he had some good one-liners here and there, but I was never as sold on Terrence as some people were. I didn't think he was all that That's good. fair. Um, That's fair. I, he flamed out He flamed out legendarily. I think it was the 2002 smack-off where he was the first caller, and Jim was like, all right, there it was. And then by, by two calls later, Jim was just saying, Terrence haired out, man. He just yeah. seemed like he... <laughs> Yeah, I, I just thought he was a bit over it. He had good calls. Don't get me wrong. But if we're going overrated versus underrated, um, he was uh, – I thought he was overrated. I thought the uh, that guy that it was in Richmond that used to scream his call and literally say the same thing every time about – Jeff in Richmond. Jeff in Richmond. Uh, I can't believe he won it one year. Um, he beat you. That was the year you did the war. Because I remember this even before – I did go down a jungle rabbit hole this week and listen to a lot of these things that are online – but um, even before this, when we, I first started emailing you, I was like, I remember the one in '02 where I think that was you. You came on, you did a lot of poking fun at yourself because um, what was going on with your with your career at the time, and you, oh, just, and you yeah, ended with like war, fired. Tom Cruise, war, Kevin Spacey. Like yeah. it was, it was a great call. <laughs> yeah, I think that was right after I had gotten fired uh, for my for yeah, that was news because I had been fired for writing a profanity laced column on a paid website, and my radio career was kind of over. Um, uh, and yeah, I remember that. I remember bits and pieces of that. Uh, but Jeff and Richmond to me was always overrated because his call was the same. Like he would almost use the same lines. Like he was always yeah. Bob Costas and all this stuff. And two minutes too. of kissing Jim's ass at the beginning. Like yeah. I just, was, I couldn't handle that stuff. Yeah. He was overrated. Who did I think was really good? Um, uh, did you do you dare, do you dare say Cablin Asian, your, your arch rival? Uh, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, Sean and I have become friends over the years, so I have no problem saying that. I mean, he's he's arguably the best caller in the history of the show. The guy won five smack-offs. Um, right. He, he was great. Um, uh, who Back in the day, who was that? Uh, the Jatolas were just smarter. Um, they came off as very smarmy and whatever, but I always liked the Jatolas calls. I thought they were very well thought out. Uh, I thought I afraid he was really good. I Ray Craig was whatever. Silk was whatever to me. Um, they weren't like strong callers. They were just personalities on the show. Um, but I just, I'd say pound for pound. I mean, if we're just going off titles, I mean, the Calvin Asian is, is the best caller in the history of the show. Guy won five smackoffs yeah. and he was really good. Um, 
and you know I've gotten to know Sean since then. Um, we definitely had a we definitely had a beef brewing back in the day, and you know for people that don't know, was it real? Was it not real? I mean, I don't know if it was real. I had never spoken to the guy off the show. The only time I ever addressed the guy in my life was on the show because this was before texting and social media, and it was just like <laughs> right, right. So, so when I made my calls, I, he would go after me, and I would he make fun of me, and so I was just like, well, I got to make fun of Cavanation because he's making fun of me. But I, had, I knew nothing about the guy really, um, and then when I got in radio and had a career and he had a career, we, you know, we crossed paths. We hung out in Houston one weekend and, um, really good guy. And, uh, I think he's, uh, I guess, yeah, pound for pound, best caller in the history of the show. He was, he's the best one. Now the most recent one who's won the most titles is Brad and Corona. Who's got, I think three titles. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, there's a part of me that doesn't get him in terms of, I don't know. He comes across as a little too, uh, I don't know, a little too smarmy for me. Um, but again, I don't know much about the guy or at all. And um, it's just become, these calls are just, it's, it's, it's about the production value now. And you got to have good content in there, but the production value seems to put it over the top now. Because even if you had a great call with great content, if it didn't have some sort of hook, whether it was a singing or flying in on a helicopter or whatever left did, you know, just, this is just, it's become, you know, it's become, uh, the Apollo theater. Like <laughs> you got to do some sort right. of shake or angle now to actually take on the title along with having a good call. So you got to do some, some sort of hook and, um, you know, it's just, what did you right. think about, Oh, sorry to cut you off. I mean, what did you think about like Jay Moore and some of the guys who were like celebrities that would call in? And, and Moore ended up becoming a host himself, but at the time it was just like, or Harbaugh, you know, is another good example. Of, like, there were these kind of people that would fly by who had, you know, a decent level of Hollywood fame. Did you think they could hold their own? Jay could because Jay was a stand up comedian. That guy was very, very right. funny and could think off the top of his head and get some great lines in. He was excellent. And um, I always thought highly of Jay and Jay's always been nice to me back in the day when I was working for Jim and then shortly thereafter anytime I wanted to go to one of his shows um I would call up his agent and they would leave tickets for me and I've probably been to three of Jay's stand-ups where he left tickets for me um just because he remembered me from the Jim Rome show so that was always cool uh trying to think of other celebrities that have uh, been on over the years yeah Harbaugh was terrible um the newest one the new flavor of the month even though it's been a few years now is Chael Sonnen from the UFC and um, I don't know there's something about him <laughs> he just you know there's part of me that doesn't get him either I don't get his appeal uh, uh, with Jim and um, you know he's I mean he's he, he can really ramble on there and he can like just non-stop talk and but there's something about his Sometimes his content, I think, is pretty weak. So, but. Jim in Fall River, do you believe he was assaulting a donkey during that infamous <laughs> call? That was. I'm trying to remember if I was working. <laughs> I, yeah, I was trying to remember if I was work. Was I working for Jim? What year was that? I think it was 2001. Okay, so then no, I wasn't working for Jim. But that literally was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard because <laughs> Jim Rome is trying to get his attention, and Jim is like practically bursting laughing like jim what is going on in the background what is happening and the guy is just so laser focused on what he had written down in front of him that uh, he just wasn't listening to anything that was coming in over his ear and 
it was so bizarre. And to this day, I think the best part about it is we still don't know what the hell it was. And right. it's, it's almost better that we don't know. Like, I would rather go to my grave yeah. not knowing what the hell ever happened in Jim and Fall Rivers Call. So, good for him. Like, I, I don't want to know at this point because I think it's, it would ruin it for me. Like, if I really knew what was happening. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, it was just so funny the way everything went down. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said your goal was to get into sports radio. You did. You transitioned. You had your own show. You've referenced it a few times. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about you, you, you get you get a gig, you're on the air, and it goes south quickly. And then kind of tell us what happened and, and how did you react to moving it, moving up toward your dream even further and then kind of quickly having it taken away? Yeah, I started working at a radio station in L.A. in 1999, after I, about four or five months after I left Jim, after I was let go. And um, it was Fox Sports AM 1150. They had just required, acquired the rights to the Dodgers. So I started working for them. Didn't do a lot of dog. I, I mean, at the beginning, I was you know overnight board op from midnight to six a.m. I'm sitting there in the studio by myself playing commercials. I'm like, wow. great, great. This is what my this is how I'm going to have to pay my dues to get to where I want to be. But you know, I worked my way up there. Then I started doing updates, you know, every fifteen minutes, and then um, then they put me on to be the post game show host of the LA Clippers when the Clippers were just god awful um, and still playing at the sports arena. Uh, or maybe it was the early years of Staples. Uh, but yeah, I did that. And then what else did I do? And then I got moved to UCLA, um, UCLA basketball, which was probably the most fun I've ever had in radio. Um, I was the, well, obviously working for Jim was huge, but, um, I did the post game show for UCLA basketball, um, in 2001 and 2002, got to travel with them in the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. One year it was in Pittsburgh. The other year it was in Philly. Uh, so that was cool. I got to do full, you know, cross-country, you know, coast-to-coast trip. Right. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a lot of fun. And then on the side, I was one of the hosts at the station, had a website. And this was like, like I said, this was 2002. So websites weren't like a thing back then or a blog. And he charged $1 a month to read his website. So he was making money. And he asked me to write a basketball column on Mondays. And I said, okay. And um, so what about who's call? he again? His name was Dave Smith. He's now on okay. NBC, he's now on NBC Sports Radio on the weekend. Was he your co-host or just another person at the – He was the host with Arnie Spanier. He was the, they were the drive time host from 3 to 7, and I was their update guy. I, okay, it, yeah, gotcha. It, but at the 5 o'clock hour, we would do the, you know, the news or whatever, and I would basically be a third wheel – and we'd read news stories and just kind of bounce them off each other. So I, they were the drive time hosts in 2002, three to seven in LA. And I was their, um, I was their update guy, but Dave had a website that at the time that this all went down, I think had 82 subscribers in a city of 8 million people. Like it was just nothing. And, but for some reason, because it was a paid website, I thought I could get away with cursing in it. And, I wrote like six basketball columns, and it was just my thoughts on the NBA and college basketball. But instead of saying, "Oh, this team was terrible," or "They played horrible," I would just say, "Like they played like shit." And I was just, I was just cursing up a storm. I was just being an idiot. I didn't know what I was doing. And one day, me and Dave, it was—I remember it specifically. Um, we had gone. I had been up in San Jose. Uh, UCLA made the Sweet 16 that year. I went up to San Jose because that's where the Sweet 16 was. Uh, they played Missouri. They lost. 
And I came back that Sunday. Monday, I check into work. Me and Dave are showing up. We're getting ready. You know, we arrive at 2 o'clock, whatever it was, 1 o'clock to the 3 o'clock show. Boss calls us into the office and says, this is unacceptable. Lays, you know, print, had printed out one of the columns that I wrote, printed out one of the columns that Dave had written, or Dave was the owner of the website, and said, you guys are both done here. This is unacceptable. And it was just like, and they had our severance, they had our severance checks uh, with us, with them, and they laid it for us. And they, so it wasn't even a discussion of, hey, we found out you were writing this. You need to knock this off, Dave. You need to sh- shut down this website so nobody, nobody else sees this. It was just, you guys are done. Here's your severance check. See it. You, and wow. it, was, it was a big deal in L.A. because we were on the air every day. Dave was a co-host for Afternoon Drive in L.A., and I was on the show, and it was in the L.A. Times that Friday of, you know, some inappropriate material that was written on Dave's website by Steve Carbone. And and I was just like, this sucks. I was devastated. Like, I was like, man, this is, I'm just, you know, Dave couldn't believe that he got fired because, he didn't write anything, you know, but it was his site, so he had to take uh, responsibility for it. And I felt like we could have easily, easily just been suspended for two weeks and told, like, hey, let's blow this under the, you know, let's sweep this under the rug. Dave, just take your site down. Don't mention it. Don't even talk about it on the air. Just And Dave said that. Like, Dave said in the meeting, like, look, I have 82 subscribers, like, in a city of 8 million people, and we're getting fired over this? And we've tried to fight it for a little bit, but realized we had nothing, you know, they could fire you for whatever they want. And uh, we, uh, we we had nothing. And, um, you know, Dave has done well for himself since. I mean, he's Dave has hopped around in radio, whether it was in L.A. I know he moved to Portland for a little bit, was doing sports talk in Portland, but now he's on NBC Sports Radio, so good on, good on him. And um, I listen to his show on my phone uh, on Sunday nights when I'm just kind of la- lounging around watching TV. Um, I'll pop up the NBC sports app on my phone and listen. Uh, it's like, um, he's on Eastern time. It would, uh, I'm central. So he's on eight to eight to midnight, Sunday night, uh, central. And, um, I'll listen to it. And it was good. Uh, Dave and I ended up working together. So that was in 2002. We got fired. I started working. Dave started being the, uh, afternoon drive host at a station in LA two or three years later, around 2004, 2005. Um, and he got me a job. He got me hired there. Um, because Dave always liked my work, and uh, he got me hired there, and I was doing updates there, and then I was doing the USC in their heyday, Leonard Bush, Lendale White heyday. Oh I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the halftime, I was the pregame and halftime host of SC football because we, the station we worked at was SC football. So it's funny because I was working at, I was the postgame show host for UCLA basketball, and then two years later I'm doing USC football, and I had to pretend like, hey everybody, SC, yay, fight on, and uh, you know. Two years earlier, I'm like, go Bruins. So it was, it was funny. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was. Um, so I worked with Dave there, and uh, but then that station um, let me go as well, and they just went in a different direction. And then about six months after they let me go, they changed format. So I was, I was going to be out of a job anyway. So. Uh, well, here's so, yeah. what I'm curious about about this time of your life. So you yeah. get so close to your dream. You you, you know you're you, first of all, like you said, you you go to the Rome show. It's what you've wanted to do all through, you know your your young adult life. You get there, it doesn't work out. You rebound. You're doing even better. You're getting closer where you go. You, you, you know you, you get fired, and then you have to turn on the Rome show and hear an entire subculture of people making fun of you about this. Yeah. So how did you deal with? And I'm, not, and I'm not piling on. I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, how did you, at the time, deal with 
the the unusual circumstances of 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 your I guess you could say like your very private um, job situation becoming so public and then so mocked in the medium you're trying to succeed in. Yeah, no, it was it was weird for me, but I did call into Jim's show that year, and I guess the way I handled yeah. it was just self-deprecation. I just made fun of myself right. for being an idiot because what I did to get fired was just stupid. Like it wasn't like I was committed a crime or I mean I cursed on a paid website. Like it was just dumb. So the only thing I could do was make fun of myself, and yeah, it was. You know, hearing people talk about it and hearing people make, I knew that my firing was going to be a topic among the callers in that particular smack off that year. Um, so it didn't surprise me. So I just kind of had to go along with it. If I if I got defensive about it, it would have made it probably even worse. So I just kind of went along with right. it, uh, made fun of myself, and kind of just moved on from there. But I knew when I did that. The thing about my radio career is I got spoiled. I worked for Jim Rome right out of college. I was working, and then six months later, I was working in the number two market, and I only knew that. And once I got fired in 2002, could I have easily sent out my demo tape and gone and probably gotten my own show in Market 50? I think so. But I was so spoiled. I was like, no. I grew up in Southern California. The Dodgers and Lakers are the only two teams that I openly root for. I know Southern California sports. I don't want to work in another market. I don't want to go to Market 50. I don't want to go to Boise, Idaho and host a show or wherever. I think Boise is probably further down the line than 50. But um, (laughs) I was just like – I was too stubborn. And I was just like, look, if I can't make it in L.A. sports radio, I don't want to go anywhere else. And I'm just going to – so it took me about two years. And then Dave got me hired at, uh, at the other station in L.A. And then that station went under. And then that's when I basically said I just don't think not only do I think my career is done in LA radio, I, I reevaluated it and I said, I don't think I want to go to another market. And I don't know if this is the industry that I want to be in. It's funny because I was listening to, I went back and listened to last year or maybe it was the year before is, uh, you're, you're calling smack off. And when Rome is introducing you yeah. now, it's like total rave. He's like, he's the only clone to ever, uh, oh, by the way, for our callers, a clone is what they call the the callers on the Rome show because they have a, a tendency to just mimic Jim's, uh, you know, Jim's yeah. uh, style. But which is, which you know, is he, what I did twenty years ago. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah. Is all I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, I did it. I well, how long totally is clone. how long is too long of a dramatic pause on dead air, a la Jim Rome's uh, real style? Yeah, <laughs> um, I think two or three seconds is about as, as, as about as long as you can go. <laughs> you know, um, but, but yeah, you know, he's in. He's introing you, and he's saying he's the only clone ever to be profiled in the New York Times. You know, he's got, uh, you know, he's the only clone ever to be sued by ABC. Second call today. In fact, a truly incredible smack-off story with this guy. A caller is participating in the 22nd smack-off, who also participated in the first smack-off. The only caller in the field who has been profiled by the New York Times. The only caller in the field who has been sued by ABC. The world's number one source for Bachelor spoilers. A former Smackoff winner. The first ever Smackoff Periscoper. He enters the arena too. Triple H's theme, my time. And now we learn if a caller can span 18 years between Smackoff wins. Does Steve Carbone Get the final rose. Let's find out. It's incredible. The first smack off and this smack off. Stevie, what's going on? 
Jim, like a Mark in Hollywood IMDb page, I'm here for one episode. Do you ever marvel in that the transition from, you know, Steve, Stevie LMU, Steve wannabe sports talk host, uh, what seemed like the end of that career ultimately led you to something that, that probably would have given you the notoriety you were cra- 21-year-old you was craving at the time, just in an entirely different world. Yeah, no, that's it's kind of, you kind of hit it on the head. Like, I think that my my personality and my humor has always been very sarcastic. And I think, I think Jim definitely rubbed off on me because that's all I listened to when I was forming my, I guess, personality and humor in my high school, end of high school, into my college years. It was around Jim's type of humor. And I just looked at sports differently. So every time I watched games when I was working for Jim, I, would, I couldn't watch them for fun. I had to watch them with, okay, what's the angle? What's the funny thing I can take out of this? You know, and that's the way I had to watch sports. And after a while, I was like, oh, God, I, I just want to watch sports and just not have to think about what's going to be the take. And that's where I'm at now with Sports Talk Radio. It's just like I don't want to have to watch sports and constantly have to be taking notes about – What's the angle I got to take out of this and stuff like that? So, but yeah, to see it come full circle, and now I'm just a sarcastic, pompous ass when it comes to writing my stuff about the Bachelor. I mean, it's kind of the same stuff I did 20 years ago, just <laughs> in a different form, um, because it's very easy to make fun of people that are on reality shows because they give you so much good material. Sports is a little bit different because these guys are professionals; they take their job seriously. There's not a lot of inherent unintentional comedy in sports there's plenty of it in reality tv the, so yeah the transition you made into this world i mean if i understand the story correctly you you started with a newsletter uh i think the initial probably emails you were sending were around joe millionaire which which is shocking yeah. to me when i think back at joe millionaire that you remember how controversial it was that she may or may not have gone down on joe off camera in the woods to where we are yeah. now where bachelor in paradise is like exploding with you know with all these charges around sex on tape with without consent what a, what a change it's been in in 15 years no i was gonna say that yeah that's how it started it was joe millionaire it was the first show i ever wrote about and it was just an email to three of my friends and they were just because i you know because back when joe millionaire started that was the first edition of like shock reality tv now i mean now you couldn't even get away with joe millionaire or it's like great we've seen that a, a hundred times over on reality well TV. steve um, you would spoil it man <laughs> like i'm just saying yeah <laughs> yeah uh i think that so joe millionaire came on i wrote an email i was like have you seen this like these women are actually believing this guy is inheriting 300 million dollars and he's totally not and um so I just made fun of it, and they would pass it on. They said, this is so funny. And then just people just kept asking, can I be on your email list? Can I be on your email list? Then it got up to about 300 names. And Jill Millionaire ended, and they're like, you, can you do another show? I'm like, what's the next dating show out there? Because dating was easy to make fun of. And it was the first season of The Bachelorette. And I was like, okay, I'll just do this one. And I watched it, and I was just like, this is even more incredible than Jill Millionaire. Like, these guys are all fawning over Trista and, and whatever. Um, and so I just... And then after about a year of doing that uh, and submitting it to, I think, a, a website, I said I need to get my own website and just put all my columns there so people aren't emailing me saying, hey, I missed your Bachelor or Bachelorette recap. Can you please send it to me again? It went in my spam or whatever. And I said, I just need to get a website. And, and that's when Reality Steve was born. And it's from 03 to 09, it was just me making fun of a dating show and, and never really pitched myself 
out there to anybody other websites. I just was hoping that somebody would read it one day and it would land in the right person's hands and they would maybe offer me a freelancing job. And I was like, okay, maybe, maybe it'll lead to that. I don't know. And, but I never pitched myself. I should have probably been sending out samples to all different websites. I really wanted a job. It just wasn't, I didn't know where it would go. I was just doing it for fun. I had a niche following that was anxious to hear from me every season when the show started up. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I like entertaining people and getting feedback on it was pretty cool. And then when I got my first spoiler, that's when the website blew up and I realized, okay, money can be made in this now because now I have some serious traffic and, uh, and that's where I kind of went from there. I must say, I loved your dropping Jake Pavelka's uh, smack in a, <laughs> a smack off a couple years ago. Yeah. What's the deal? What is the deal with that guy? That seems like a real feud. No, I I've never spoken to Jake. It's funny because Jake's a Dallas, local guy. He's in Dallas, and I've never spoken to him. I've never seen him. Um, I've never had any interaction with him. I just I've always just thought he was kind of douchey, and I was just <laughs> I've always just kind of made fun of him. Um, if I ran into him out here, I don't even know if I would introduce myself. I really have nothing to say to him. Um, I don't think he would recognize me. So, um, but yeah, I just, he's just a guy that's so, has been so easy uh, to make fun of over the years. And I'm like, okay, I'll just make fun of him because he had one of the worst public breakups ever that we've ever seen on television. Yeah. Handle, handle himself about as poorly as you could with a woman sitting next to you on national television. And I think that that deserves to be made fun of at every chance I can get. <laughs> so yeah. Would you raise your hand to a woman and yell at her to stop interrupting me uh, on national television when 10 million people are watching 10 million you're women. Gonna get made fun of. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, you're going to get made fun of. And that's basically right. been my job with Jake. <laughs> and, and not to imply that men don't watch. I, I'm a religious viewer. And actually I want to talk about that. Like the sports world, it, it seems to be obsessed with the show. Here's where I want to start on this. The, the show itself, I think, got a lot of cultural attention and excitement when they had Jesse Palmer as The Bachelor. Yeah. And actually, this is, uh, I hope I can say this legally, I had previously worked for a sports client, and we had been contacted by producers for the show, or people claiming they were, who said, can you set us up with the people who are your, you know, we're looking for like a Landon Donovan type, or somebody else like that. I feel like they've completely abandoned that strategy and they now clearly just kind of recycle the personalities from previous seasons. Do you ever envision yeah. a time where they would go back to a, hey, let's just go get a big celebrity crossover type of star and make them The Bachelor and not have it be someone who was fed into the system from Bachelorette? I don't think it's going to happen because they've said so as much. They're kind of like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and this formula works for them. Um I think bringing in a celebrity from the outside isn't believable because the celebrities don't need the show to meet somebody. Um, so because they still like to sell the romance angle, like, Hey, you're, we're, we're putting these people, uh, giving them a chance to find love. And it, even if you've got a D list celebrity, that person can easily find somebody else. Uh, they don't need to go on a reality dating show to do it. And I think it would be stunt casting. And I don't think that they want to go that route with it. And like I said, it's been 18 seasons in a row now. It might be 20, where the lead is from a previous season, if not the season directly before it. So I don't see it. I don't see it changing. They've said in interviews, you know, whoever we choose already has a built-in storyline. If they just choose somebody from the outside, that person doesn't have a connection with the audience. And it makes sense. I get it. storytelling is what they're doing. And 
when this girl gets taken all the way to the end and then gets broken up with, people are already feeling sorry for her, so they want to see her find her person. Right. Because they just went on this journey with her, and got she got her heart broken, and she's vulnerable about opening up, and now she's getting her chance. As opposed to if you just bring in Joe Schmo from the outside, the audience doesn't have a connection with that person. So it makes sense on a, on a storytelling level to absolutely cast from someone who has already been dumped. I, I just I don't see why they would ever go away from it. I think it would be dumb if they did. Yeah, I've always said the greatest bachelor from sports would be Tebow because he's got universal name recognition. He's got the Sean yeah. hunky body, and he's a good Christian boy uh, looking for love. But, you know, like you said, I, I don't think they're going to go back that route. No, I can't see him doing it for the sole reason that I think he's too religion-based. And, I, and, you know, the, as risque as they get on this show, I think he would not want to be a part of that. Yeah. I don't think he would realize what he was getting into or he would be like, no, I'm not going to do that. And it would be way too vanilla uh, for them. He's way too vanilla for them. I think they need someone that's going to, quote-unquote, slut it up a little bit and be willing to make out with, six or eight girls in the same episode. I don't, something tells me Tebow wouldn't do that. Right. And he wouldn't play He wouldn't play ball with them. So, so sports media are obsessed with the show. I mean, we've had multiple guests on. Our, we've Jamel Hill, Sarah Spain have come on and talked about it. Um, Michael Jr. is a big a big Bachelor aficionado. Clay Travis talks about it. Um, you know, uh, uh, even Bill Barnwell, like the, the NFL stats guru and advanced statistics guy for ESPN, you know, will make time to kind of break down shows. Why do you think that sports media specifically gravitates toward this property? And the easy answer is, oh, sure, ESPN does because it's ABC. But, you know, when, when Clay's yeah. talking about it on Fox, I mean, it, it just shows the universal appeal in this world. Do you think that there's a correlation some, somehow? I just think it's because it's, it's part of the pop culture lexicon now. It's a very, you know, we talk about water cooler topics and hot take topics. They talk about what's being talked about nationally and this show is just part of the pop culture lexicon now because it's been around for 34 seasons and i think that's why it's just very it's just something that easily you can easily make fun of they you know they you know last season last summer with jojo you had the whole jordan rogers thing and with the uh you know the fact that aaron Rodgers is not close to his family like they ate that up to the hundredth degree uh and the whole thing was I think it's just, it's such a, it, it's so ingrained in our pop culture mind, this show and this franchise, that it's just very easy. It's very relatable. We've all dated, and it's, people make asses of themselves on TV, and <laughs> it's just kind of easy, it's kind of e easy to make fun of them. Where do you want to go? I mean, how are you going to build your brand from here? Uh, I think... I think it's fair to say you've you've far graduated beyond just solely being known as as Mr. Spoiler for the show. You, you do a ton of content. I think you've talked about your traffic spikes around the the re, the reaction of the content for the show as opposed to even your spoiler content. So clearly you are um, you know you, you've developed quite an ongoing sort of publisher mode around, um, you know, The Bachelor and around reality TV. Like, how do you feel like your brand is going to extend over the next, you know, five, ten years? I think um, probably more audio stuff, uh, just because long-form writing is just kind of, just like going like kind of how newspapers are. People don't read newspapers anymore. People don't want to read... 
three, four, five pages of an article anymore. It's just I need to know your opinion three seconds after it happens. And, um, you know, I've always prided myself that my column goes up the very next morning. I don't wait four or five days to write a Bachelor recap because I figure everybody's got a Twitter account now and everybody's given their opinions and they've heard everything. You know, even having it the next day is almost too late now because then that's why I live tweet during the show. Um, it's very, it's a very fun show to hate watch. And um, but for me going forward, I think it's just going to be a lot more audio. I'm going to put a lot of time into my podcasting and maybe start building up my podcasting. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, bring people aboard to be part of the Reality Steve podcasting network. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's something I've thought about. It's still, way in the early stages. I'm only six months into my podcasting career. So, but it's something I have thought about of uh, to where I have other people talk about other shows. Um, you know, it's out there. The ringers, you know, got their stuff and I don't want to, but they're obviously successful and, you know, maybe get some former contestants that don't know how to do a podcast, but I groom them and I teach them how to do it. And they start a show under my reality C podcast umbrella because I have an audience. Will Bachelor in Paradise work this year, or is it just going to be sort of a cultural curiosity when it airs and then, you know, kind of fizzle back out? Yeah, I think um, when they get started, uh, people are just going to tune in to be like, okay, what are we going to be told? What are we going to be shown? Um, filming's a little bit less than in past seasons in terms of how many days they're being spent filming. But ultimately, I think it's going to be the same show. It's just all former contestants hooking up and dating and eliminations and rose ceremonies and all that. And, uh, yeah, I see that just kind of continuing. And um, something tells me next summer, I think maybe they'll just try a different format, try a different show. It's not going to be called Bachelor in Paradise. I was surprised it came back. I thought they would just take the summer off and just be like, you know, we can't. I just, logistically, I didn't think they could pull it off. I didn't think yeah. the resort was going to be like, you know, they only had the resort reserved until January or June 26th or 28th. I didn't know you could go back to a resort and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, can we can we go back for an extra ten days, including Fourth of July weekend? Like, what about people who had that place booked? I can't imagine people had that place booked for Fourth of July. Are they being told like, look, sorry, we had to extend it with this show. You're you're out of luck. For I, I, that's the whole thing that I was surprised they were able to go back. I didn't think the resort would take them back. I didn't think they'd be able to find a location so quickly. I didn't think they're gonna be able to get every single contestant from this show to be like, oh yeah. We told you originally you needed to be available from beginning of June till possibly June 26th or 28th. Now you got to go back to your jobs and tell them you might be gone again. Like I, I don't know. But then again, these people really don't have you know, these aren't C, these aren't CEOs or lawyers that we're talking about here. I, I just want to say I'm so glad you came on and talked about this. I, I, I we had heard this part of your story kind of alluded to in other media, but for the, for those of us who kind of either came of age or, or took a tour of duty on the Rome show on the jungle. I think it's. I think the subculture is fascinating. I think. I think it's so interesting to talk to you know regular kind of star callers from that universe like yourself and to hear a little bit about how you journeyed from you know from from that universe into what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, like I said, it's maybe happened ten or fifteen times over the year where someone said to me, "I listen to Rome all the time, but I didn't realize Reality Steve was Stevie from LMU or Stevie Carbone. I didn't. I never made the connection until now because they read something." Yeah. Well, man, we love the work you do. I always read you before each season. My wife refuses to. And uh, I will be <laughs> I will be making time for the smack off. And uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing yeah. your story. 